welcome to where the furniture isn't always the best, but the views, they are amazing. Miami Hurricane family and those of you who just want to support a black business. Today, we introduce Dr. Camille Cohen of Dr. Camille Cohen Optometrist and Associates Park Slope. Dr. Cohen's practice is comprised of a dedicated team of eye care experts that provide you and your family the highest quality eye care experience. Located inside Pearl Vision, the practice specializes in comprehensive eye exams, contact lens fitting, and the treatment and management of eye disease and eye infections. For more information, get your pens out. Visit https semicolon forward slash forward slash eyedoctors.pearlvision.com forward slash ny forward slash Brooklyn forward slash nine five hyphen seventh hyphen av dot html. For hashtag Buy Black Friday, Dr. Camille Cohen and Associates Park Slope will give away Ray-Ban non-prescription sunglasses. Simply tag an alumnus for an entry into the giveaway. In the meantime, all alumni can take advantage of 20% off the purchase of glasses or contacts. And now to our show. What's happening? Welcome to the 13th Floor Podcast, the podcast devoted to giving you first row access to the minds of the successful Black man. I am your host, B. Jones. Brett, I got almost the whole team with me tonight. Coach K is here. Art, what's happening? BJ, what's going on? Uh, we here. We excited. <laughs> we got a lot to get into. So as Art brings everybody into the room, Hey. There we go. What's happening? What's happening? Dry, dry run, ladies and gentlemen. Don't kill us on the YouTube. Uh, before we get into this uh, thing too heavily, I want to make sure that you hit that subscribe button. Uh, make sure you like us. Uh, wherever you're listening to us at, subscribe. Uh, you can catch this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, everywhere podcasts are played. And make sure you check us out on the social media at 134, please. Um, and as you listen... Leave us those comments. Leave us the reviews. We've had some excellent feedback over the last couple of weeks, and we appreciate it. We're here for it. We always love engaging with our listeners, our viewers, and the community. So, um, yeah, stay connected with us. Fellas, y'all good? Y'all ready to get into this thing? Yeah, we good, man. And we got a shout-out. And I don't don't know if any of you all know who this is, but hold on one second. Let me – we got a new comment. Um, and it's from from uh, Kamaya Farrell, and she says oh, that yeah. she loves this platform and what it offers. Shout out to Kamaya! Nice. I appreciate that. Yeah, who's Kamaya? <laughs> so Kamaya is a good friend of mine. She's in Cal. She's in San Diego. So shout out to the West Coast, Ooh. reaching over across. Yeah, man. Nice. Um, yeah. Big big shout out. There it is. There it is. Um, so I want to get it. We got a, a lot to get into tonight let's do it um first things first <laughs> <laughs> y'all heard I'm, I'm sure y'all have heard by now that omar arbery verdict um guilty federal charges uh, for federal hate crime for all three gentlemen um how do y'all feel what's the impact how y'all feelings on that go ahead bj it's a it's a mixed bag right because i i i the system in this case proved that 
they they heard the facts, they decided which way it, it needed to go, and they made a decision. Now I'm I still cringe a little when I I hear people say I'm glad they they got it right or glad like people are they have emotion because finally a verdict came back that gave justice somebody who had wrongdoing done to them like. Just thinking about, I mean, I think you think you put skin color in it, you put race, ethnicity, all the backgrounds of the hate crime, right? Um, they found right. But when you still have a community to say, who, or I'm glad, or that just that the justice system finally did the right thing, it's still a slap in the face in some ways, right? So okay. I, I'm I'm the return verdict was the way it should have been, I believe. But again, when you still look at our society as a whole and People just sitting on pins and needles waiting for that to say was was normally what they normally say. Or if it came back the other way, I'm not um I'm surprised, but I'm not shocked, or vice versa, whichever way they say it, right? So it's one of the things where the system did its job, but this is one case out of many that have gone by who have not gotten justice for their son, for their family member, for their community. So again. Italian the win column, but we still got a long way to go. So before it's, you go, Carol, because I know you got like this whole prolific thing. No, what you I just don't, said. Go ahead. <laughs> what you just said, BJ, about it being Italian the win column is the only thing that I I typically take offense to. Um, because I don't I don't feel like there's any winning in this type of situation. Um I think the justice system finally, you know, worked and justice was served for the family um, on, on both ends, right? But when you talk about winning, you still have a mother that's lost their son. Uh, we still living in a time where you can't even, we can't get meaningful legislation pushed forward on a state or federal level to curtail some of this nonsense with the police, um, police and community interaction. Um, and these are these are vigilantes. These weren't even police. Um, right. So I think that that also plays a little bit more into, I think, why the verdict kind of came back the way it did um, as well, even though I think one of them was like an ex-police officer or retired. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm real careful how I, I look at it as far as a win um, until I can see something that's results that are more lasting. Um, versus, you know, this particular instance in time where we can celebrate the justice system, you know, actually doing right by us. But I feel like justice was served, and that's kind of where it where it ends for me. I, I think there's still more work and a lot more uh, of an outcome to be gained. Totally agree. I, I don't. Before Kay goes, I don't have anything. Why, why is everybody scared to go after me? <laughs> I'm not going after you. I'm literally saying I had no. I've been so busy at work today. I didn't notice it or hear about anything. And my timeline has been. I it's not in my timeline or any notification. So I've been lost. So I'm going to be kind of a. I'm going to pull a BJ in this section and jump in and add some good comments. Um, but I I am looking forward to uh to to the the final <laughs> conversation <laughs> from the coach. <laughs> I, I, all I was going to say was that it, it's look, you got life sentences on top of life sentences. That part is a win that, you know, justice was served. However, 
was justice learned, was justice taught. You still have the local sheriff. You still have the, you know, local prosecutors. Uh, did they go through some type of training? Did they get some type of education? How many other things have gone on that they've just let go by? And because it wasn't in the public eye, nothing was done. It's so, almost got let go. Yes. I think those, and absolutely. I don't know if those same individuals mm. are still in office or. I don't know either. Yeah, it did. But, but that's the question. It's not a win unless we have corrected and made sure that nothing like this will happen again. And are there some cases that need to go be dug in, dug in, dug into to understand what has happened in the past? I'm sure there, there probably are. And you got to take into consideration. So one of the first points I had this afternoon conversation at work actually was with some coworkers was that thinking through how much an alarm like this case was, was that a factor on either jury's mind, whether it was the initial verdict or the, the federal case verdict? Like, if we don't return this verdict back this way, what is the repercussion of it? Like, if I remember correctly, I, I still have to look up, there was no minority or one minority on the initial case. I'm not sure about this, the federal case right now, how many there were jurors. Um, so you think about people who are thinking about, hypothetically, they can be thinking about the repercussion, the neighborhoods, the city as a whole, instead of just doing justice because justice was needed to be served, were there other factors in this? We would never know, right? There's certain things that about that we would never know, but there, there, there are other conversations and thoughts that are a part of this whole process that play out in this whole thing. So do you necessarily feel like that's a bad thing? Um, I understand the, the morality of it, right? But I think that consequences breed certain types of action, right? So when we understand, let's take the case of, uh, we can go all the way back to 1963 in Megar Evers' case, a jury of all white folks, two times mistrial, right? And at that point in time, you know you're not gonna get a guilty verdict and this just happened to be a hung jury or whatnot. And no, no real repercussions because at that time you have a heightened aggression, white folks, pretty much black folks living a lot, a lot of fear and have to deal with a lot more pressure. Now where we have a lot more rights, a lot more power, whether or not we organize and yield it, wield it as we should, it's another conversation, but now especially coming off of the heels of George Floyd's case and a lot of, of the other cases that did not go in the direction that we wanted them to go as far as justice being served when it comes to black men dying, black women dying, et cetera. Is it such a bad thing for the people on the jury or the prosecution or the judges to know that there will be consequences if this thing doesn't go in a just manner? Deep down, I believe so. I believe that, that there are there's there's some negative repercussions from that. Yes, 
initially, no. Long term, when people look at the case and when they look at what happened, is it a false sense of progress, a false sense of hope, a false sense of gaining traction? Okay. For the sake of the saving the from the fallout. Again, some of the things we would never know, but I do think there there could be some detriment to that being the underlying case. Like I want deep down, I, and I know it's not the case, but I want to believe that justice was served because everybody felt that it was the right thing to do, and the evidence point there was no way of giving out. Even I even heard like the defense, um, the defense attorney yesterday before they wrapped up or whatever was just like basically got up in a short amount of time, didn't call any witnesses or call like one witness or, and like basically the prosecution didn't prove beyond a shadow of doubt, find him, find him innocent and then sat down. Wow. <laughs> like they, they thought like they, they were just gonna win the case. It was really no long, long drawn out session. They didn't really go and call all these witnesses to rebuke, rebuttal and all that stuff. They didn't do all that stuff. Man. Well, I guess in this situation too, it's it's kind of hard to to defend what we we we're actually able to see, you know. And when you look at some of the facts surrounding the cases, like what is a prosecutor going to do when they've already been found guilty in the in the lesser court? So for the uh, I guess the criminal court or criminal case, um, they've already been found guilty. So when you get to the federal case and right. hate crimes, you know, you basically trying the case all over again. I don't know that they, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to get up there like um, uh, Chauvin's lawyer and, you know, <laughs> throw, was... throw darts in the dart and, you know, make a <laughs> fool of yourself or, you know, you're just kind of going to, you, you're going to eat it. I guess it could go either way. Uh, I, I don't know. That, 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 whole, that whole piece of the legal strategy is not my thing. I've, I see, I kind of listen to what's going on. That's not my Forte, I think that's a good question, Adley, if we ever go down a path about the justice system and what happens in cases and the way people try cases, like as we move forward, that may be a, a thing to talk to somebody later on about. Um, but I'd be happy to, to, to engage in that conversation more because I'm really interested in it. Like, I don't know. But long term, I think if that was if that's the underlying reason why people make decisions, it's still short selling um the overall verdict and and what sense of progress people think or hope they have in the system then that i can i can honestly think then if i can if i have that doubt in my head then the system the system is screwed up regardless that's not a question we're not we're not learning we're not improving at all I'm looking at you, Carol. You look like you was about to say something, so I, I, I keep it, I keep it going. Well, I, I, I'm just kind of wondering if, do we think about all this that it, it came this way because the first case was pretty much cut and dry, and this one was like just for formality. Um, and two, I don't know what this will change. I'm hoping this will change something and it will make a difference. Um, but I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've heard in the, in, the, in the legal system that, that because once it go even because this is a federal case now it's a federal case and the hate crime is the charge. 
Right. Like, technically, yes, the world knows what happened there, mm-hmm. but they have, like Brett said, they have to try the case all over again. You have to, you can't bring that into it and say, well, we won this, we okay. put that here. You have to start all over again. And the the, the burden of proof um, now, it shifts towards proving that it was a hate crime, not this a crime was committed. It was a hate crime. So there has to be a whole bunch of, again, I'm not into the legal pieces of that stuff, but I know that part is a total different thing that you have to prove. So, and Kay said this before, he says earlier, uh, uh, back on the um, Black History Month um, podcast about, I think it may have been afterwards, but everyone has a protective class. A hate crime puts all of us in this big weird box, but then there's specific crimes against you know, Asians, specific crimes against Jewish. Do you think at this point now that there might possibly be some kind of protective class just for, you know, black, African-American, brown skinned uh, people? Or is, or is, do you think this may help that process go for, or is just, no, they're going to stay in the, in the hate crime category, hate crime category? No, I don't, I don't think, I don't think there are enough cases for there to be set precedent at this point for them to automatically say, oh, this is going to be open and shut. You did this, you're going to be guilty. I think this is just one of those things where people are going to say, oh, you got caught. And think of ways not to get caught if they want to do it. Right. Wow. Okay. <laughs> we're not even go- we're not even going to get into the I think it's millions of black and brown people that are missing in this country. Mm. Wow. So keeping with that thing a it little bit. Millions. Go ahead. I'm a fact check it. There's, there's a lot. You know, you know, there's a growing black and brown people missing out there, and on a daily basis, that's that's the bottom line. Right. So, keeping with that kind of theme, and some of the what we experience as social injustices um, as black and brown people every day, right? So, it's a lot that's really going on in this world as it pertains to us. And so I was having a conversation and this spurred on, on the eve of the, uh, or after the, um, the Super Bowl and the big halftime show, you know, you got legends up there. Shout out to Mary, M, 50, Dre, Snoop. Shut it down. And then Kendrick Lamar, you know, soon to be in that same category, I believe, or will be as his career goes on. But it was so much hype, you know, around that, like that halftime show. And, um, it was funny because the conversation came up and everybody's like watching the Super Bowl. We know the NFL is NFL, so we don't have to get into that. We've, we've covered them. Even though they've been making strides, it's still the, the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, with the plight of African-American, Black Americans at a, at a whole, especially this current society, do you feel like we dance quote unquote too much that's how it was presented or the the actual quote was that here we are still dancing on tv for these people in this arena given that the nfl owners and everybody else is you know doing dancing um dancing the jig or whatever to their to their beat 
do you feel like that is the actual case for us as black people? Do we dance too much? Are we still playing stepping in tow with the, I guess, quote unquote master or these folks that kind of pull the strings? Or is it more of a, I think as you kind of put in the group and I'll let you expound on that BJ, just a matter of expression um, because of the type of people that we are and where we come from. All right, real quick before you answer that, there are 145,467 missing African-American, Asian, and Indian people in the United States. Sorry, million was a little far. One is too many. Well, you can't say one is too many. Come on, man. Give me the, come on. Feels energy. I'm just trying to find No, no, right. I I, I, I don't want to take your energy, but I mean, mean, there are missing people, like whether it be runaways or whatever. Um, I mean, it was a whole crisis in here in D.C. for a minute. And it was this mi- yes. it was missing girls, girls getting snatched up off the street. You know, but like, you see how that 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 was. I'm sorry, I know, we, but that's even got played down over the last couple of months. And it's, it fell out of the news loop. And but from what I'm still hearing, it's not that it's gone away. It's just not being reported as much. Right. Right. But okay, sticking with moving. the topic, yeah, got you, BJ. You wide open. So. When you pose the question initially, again, I, I think halftime show, I think it was a display of the black culture from LA, in LA, for LA. Um, that I think a lot of times gets the stigma of whatever you want, gangs, Crips and Bloods, the, it, you go any movie that was featured in LA, they have the khakis on with the with the white on and they're crip walking. They got a red bandana or a blue bandana hanging out of the back pocket. Mm-hmm. Got to be on the right side, not the left side. If you listen to Snoop, right. um, left side, not the right side. I said that backwards. Anyway, um, too much music in my head right now. Sorry, but when you th- when you think about all those different things that were portrayed on that stage right there, and then think about how music has played out in the lives of, I'm gonna just say blacks. I can't talk to everybody right now. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the black culture, right? You go from everything from Negro spirituals to um, spirituals in the church to R&B, jazz, blues, um, hip hop nowadays, like it's an expression. And I, I have this conversation with people on the time about language and lyrics. Yes, are, does some things need to change? Do I think so? Yes. But has it been a way to, if you just track everything from start to finish that we can, that we know of, has it been a, a an art of expression that's how we express ourselves that's how we communicate that's how we get messages across we've always done that and we use it to our advantage now fast forward to this time of age i think what was on display right there was for the rest of the world to kind of see the things that y'all kids are doing now on tiktok and everything else are spurned off of things that were already done by blacks before, so celebrated for what it is. They might may not be quote unquote grip walking, but what they're doing back and forth and some of the moves and everything like that are taken from different dances and adapted and, and moved throughout history and moved throughout different generations, if you will. If you think about what was going on with West Coast rap when like in the 90s and early 2000s and the whole East Coast, West Coast beef, and there's so many avenues that could take 
but ultimately it was expressions by those artists from what they knew, from where they, and if you, even if you go back and listen to a lot of their stories, like where did they grow up? They grew up in the churches. They grew up listening to um, people singing on the streets. They grew up with their parents playing jazz music, playing blues, and they've adapted that to now tell their own stories. Now we have our own depiction of, well, they cuss too much, or they use bitch, they use nigga too much, they use all this stuff. Like, that's fine and dandy. We can have those conversations. Ultimately, art is a, f- a form of expression, no matter you painting the word or you saying the word. Mm-hmm. So when you think about the way it's being used and how it's being portrayed, I saw that Super Bowl. I saw, first of all, I saw a generation being highlighted. Yes. Then I saw the culture being highlighted. I saw videos on social media and people reposting stuff like people our age into their 50s man like dancing like it was a rap party back in the day I, I'm at this picture like G um and a couple other people that were like from the New York New York people people from out west they're like doing different things like that was the time we were in mm-hmm. and you and I think right. we were neat because we had people from all over the country all over the world yeah, bringing that in and everybody just accepted it. That was a world's world's view of like, this was a culture. This is a thing that's always been made to be a negative stereotype, but no, we're going to do it to show on a Super Bowl stage in front of the world that this is the culture. This is LA. This is a big part of LA. Like it or don't like it. We're here to stay. It doesn't matter. Okay, BJ, I'm with you. I, I'm with you. Um, I don't, I, I don't, Necessarily disagree. Let me phrase the question a little bit differently because I think the the way that the comment was intended was more so along the lines of, are we serious enough about the change that we want to see as black people? When you look at the NFL and the entertainers and how the NFL is structured, I guess that's the, the biggest example or the specific example. Um, and the way the players kind of, you know, just stay in line with, the owners and how ownership wants things to be run. We know, you know, several years ago, you know, how bad things were for the NFL as far as PR and social justice. And they tried to clean it up a lot um, over the last several years. Um, But given that they are who they are, um, and this is not just about the NFL, this is holistically. Are we serious enough about the change that we want to see to forego some of those, I guess, pleasantries or whatever and and get to the the business of where we want to be at oh i don't think we need to stop our culture to, to get business done i don't think we need to stop the stop that piece to get to be, now what was done a couple a few years ago about boycotting the super bowl and not not that was a statement a stance do we need to progress from there? Yes, you can boycott, but then when do you have a chance to take that platform and promote something like we like what we just saw? That's that's how I see it at least. Like what we saw like last weekend with the NBA and their All-Star weekend, and like it was just a supreme spotlight on like HBCU life and how much mm-hmm. um they brought them in. I think Howard and Morgan uh played Morgan a State. game that week. Yeah, Morgan State had a game. They gave um I think it was Central State is this the HBCU in Ohio. They had a young lady on there um, announcing. So, and, and gave a lot of like scholarships and everything, like huge push for HBCUs. Uh, so, something like that, that, that's what you kind of 
talking about having that. Well, I don't. I can't speak to the All Star Week. I didn't catch anything this past week on All Star Weekend. I couldn't even tell you what was happening when the game. Well, was no, I'm so. just saying like what that, that type the, of the platform is is used. To, platform to is used, yes. Platform is used, but it's very funny that you bring this up because I was watching um, a YouTube video of Brandon Marshall, Chad Johnson, and somebody else talking about this, but months ago. And saying that, hey, you know, the NBA is getting all this props and whatnot for this, but um, it's a different situation because one, they learned from the NFL and had time to react. Two, oh. you have a lot more players. Ease up, ease up. I, I'm, telling you what <laughs> I'm they just said. listening. I'm, just, I'm <laughs> telling you what they said. It, you don't got to stop. You know? <laughs> Two, there are more play. There's less players in the NBA and a greater percentage who have guaranteed contracts, which Brandon Marshall got all up in arms about and Chad Johnson. Anyway, they were at odds about that piece, but uh, I think you have enough significant players in the NBA that are speaking up and saying, oh, we need to do this, that the league respects it. Now, what I will say for all sports, and it's where we've all failed, is that we haven't created a safety net for these players who, for some of them, this is the only thing they know to provide and make their bread and butter. They haven't, a lot of them, not all of them, they haven't learned other things that they can do with their skill set. So it's very hard for them to walk away and say, hey, we're not going to play until this happens because they are scared of losing out on that money. They're scared to, for, for a lot of them. This is the generational change. This is what changes the patterns that they've grown up in. That is the key. Um, when it comes to sports, that is the key. We have to get to a point to where the players can say we're not playing until something significant is done for a long standing amount of time. Now, going back to the part about the music and the dancing, I'm gonna take it a step further. Not only is that just our cultural tradition, but that has been our mental health therapy for, for a long time. And if you took that away, oh, things would get really bad because that has been the outlet that has been the therapy. That's what has allowed us to continue to go on under the toughest of circumstances. And there's always some form of music or something for us to rally around, to feel like, Hey, you know what? We can go on, we can make it some more. Uh, and I think until we realize that, okay, it's great. Now the, the most powerful thing we have right now is sports, entertainment, fashion, mm -hmm. all these different things where we dominate. If we ever could get to the point where we say we're going to have a calculated, and here we go, we're getting flagged again. If we have a calculated <laughs> agreement that, hey, we're not going to produce until the heads of state, the people in power come together and make all this right and get something in, in writing. A minor expl expl um, explanation of that, a uh, scenario of that, 
I remember, I don't know what it was, but I remember about a year ago, this. What was being the, all the TikTok dances were, when everybody was in quarantine, all the TikTok dances was out, right? And a lot of the initial dances were created by black and brown folks. Yes. And it, there was one song that came out. I don't know if it was Nicki, it was Cardi or somebody. And the thing was like black creators don't make a dance to this song. Yes. yes. Do, you, do you remember that art? I do. I do. I, I forget what it was. It was like black creators don't make a TikTok <laughs> dance to this song unless you watch what happens. Mm-hmm. And, and that song really got bad. it was it was a major major hitter, but it mm-hmm. got like no traction, and everybody who tried to make something that wasn't of that persuasion, it like failed. Like there were no there were no specific TikTok dances that it took off during that time for that music. It was, and I heard about it afterwards, and I went back to look at some of the things. I'm like, somebody had to do something. It was like when no black or brown people stepped foot and created it, mm-hmm. for it to be copied, for it to be duplicated, yeah. it fell flat on their face. Like now, and in a small microcosm, that's the word I was trying to say a little while ago, it just didn't come out. It just, it was, it was an example of, we have power, how do we wield it? And I think that's go back, okay, what you said a little while ago, are we willing to, and again, that's a small case, right? When you think about that in art, in music, in fashion, like, not even talk, that's the creative, creative side. Not talk about the spending dollars that go on the opposite side of that. Right. right? There's, a whole, there's a whole bunch of power that we just need to rally behind and, and figure out what is that plan. And, and look, the music is so powerful. That's why a handful of people run the industry and determine what gets played, what doesn't get played, yeah. because they know. Yeah. Right? We talking about East Coast, West Coast beef, just to that find out. Just to find out, <laughs> was it really real? Because if it was real, you wouldn't have got Jay-Z to come write still Dre. Right, right. Mm-hmm. One of Dr. Dre's biggest hits, Jay-Z wrote. And not only did he write Dre's part, he wrote Snoop's part too. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, it, worked. it is a complete sidebar. Like, it hurt me when I found out Snoop had um, a ghostwriter. I think it was um, not Eddie Kane. Who was it? Um, uh, sorry, I can't think of his name. But that hurts, man, because I'm like, dang, man, I I, I like Snoop, and you just want to believe that, you know, that I knew Dre had the ghost, right? He's yeah. Producer. It makes I sense. mean, like, everybody does. Every, yeah. they, they all do. They all do. I mean, it's just that some of them are Jay better Cole at it. No ghost Rider. Who? J. Cole. Cole. <laughs> oh, okay. If you say so, I mean. <sighs> Man, don't blow my, don't blow my, uh, don't burst my bubble. <laughs> You're like, leave me one, leave me one, leave me one. Leave me one, right? <laughs> I don't know him like that. Oh, man. man. Hey, um, before before we go into the next segment, uh, Art, uh, can we get your, your corner in now? Uh, yeah. I got time to look something up real quick. Yeah, for sure. So it, it's good because I, I wanted to talk about, about patience. And every once in a while, I'll bring this back because it's super important for people to understand how patience work and what the deal is with that. Uh, dude, patience, planning, and making sure that you are making, you're taking care of things you need to be taken care of is super important. So instance today is you want to go out and do the biggest thing. You want to go out and plan this big hurrah and whatever it may be. Um, but most of the time when you do plan those things or you do set forth, um, Things happen and you're doing it because you're in a rush for whatever it was for work, for life, for personal, for fitness, whatever it is, the plan is sit back some time and think about it before you make a reaction. Same financial. 
financial decisions to buy certain things or to react a certain way. And I'm using the example for myself um, of the Galaxy uh, Fold. So me and BJ sat down, we went through this whole thing for about an hour at his house about how I need to have this Fold. I got to have it. It's going to be the next big thing. They aren't making any more notes. You guys know I'm a Samsung guy, so I'm all about that. And then come to find out, literally, in a couple of days, they're going to drop the Samsung Ultra, which is pretty much the new. So now I'm looking at it like, oh, man, well, I would have pushed for that flip, that fold and, and had all that information going and then been screwed behind it because I didn't have anything going forward. So patience and time is a good thing. If you don't need to have something, you don't need to have it, then don't push for it. Don't make things happen. Just sometimes it takes more takes more out of persons to sit back and wait for, for that than it is to go out and do the first thing. So look at the situation, look at it as a whole before you move forward and sometimes practice patience before you react. Same for thinking and speaking. Open your mouth, remove all doubt. That's what they say. There it is. That's Arts Corner brought to you by the BFBG. I do have a question though, Brett, before we, before we move to the next thing. So why is it that we don't organize on that level? How is it that we cannot get a, this is what we're going to do and we execute? So we ain't going to make it to the next segment. We're going to end the show <laughs> on this segment. I already know it. Um, otherwise, we'll get into being too long, and that'll be the next bit of feedback we get. You guys on there for an hour and a half, two hours. This isn't that chance. Blah, 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 blah. Um, but, again, perfect. People will sit there and watch Drink Chaps for an hour and a half. <laughs> entertainment, <laughs> man. Entertainment. You get to unplug and listen to these, you know, entertainers. Right. And, and and in most cases, they're not even talking about something current. They're talking about something that has been. Right. Right. Absolutely. Right. And Absolutely. we talk about something current that could uplift everybody. And it's, you know, pri- it's priorities. It's 60 priorities. minutes is too long. What? So I, I'll give this on public. Shout out to moms. Mom, you know, mom's fifth lifter. Always. Mom was heated when she found out we were doing segments. Why y'all doing that? Oh, what? Why, why do I gotta wait another day? <laughs> and I told her like some of the feedback, like, so they didn't need to get their priority yet. They didn't get their schedules. If they don't want, they need to pause it and come back to it. I want to listen to the whole thing and watch the whole thing. <laughs> Mama, it's not your fault. Because yes. you were raised in a generation yes. where your the attention span is yes. not three minutes or less, or yes. sixty seconds or less. We unfortunately live in this data age where everything is easily accessible and everything is like, I need it now, I need it yesterday. On demand. demand. And so, you know, unfortunately. It's not just that. It's also, oh, man, these guys, this topic is too heavy for me. I need to, I need to just feel good. I, you know, I need, I need positivity. I wish I could, I wish I could stop for positivity in my daily life. So, okay. Would be nice. I try to try to find something. Yeah, man. I mean, it's all about perspective. It's, it's, it's definitely all about perspective. But, but I mean, it's short term. You, you, you're basically. I still got to deal with the situation. Like you're looking, <laughs> you're looking for short short term relief from what's real, right? As opposed to let's deal with it and let's figure out a long term solution so that you can enjoy yourself as much as you want to. True. 
fact. No, mom, mom, I got that text. I started laughing. Mom's was heated. Hey, uh, what, why, <laughs> what happened to the rest of it? Y'all missing the part. It got cut off. <laughs> Tell her to switch to I, Apple uh, I, iTunes. Yeah. Podcast. But I like, I love her comments. I love her comments on YouTube. So I don't want to <laughs> go on YouTube. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out, um, Mama, but yeah, we, we got to do it. We'll come back to that later on, though. But yeah. <laughs> So the question is, Carol, why can't we organize on that type of level? Yes. A couple of pillars. Would I be? Huh? I I said there's a couple of pillars here, but go ahead, Britt. Do you think, um, well, I I guess would I be wrong if I said that there's a a certain element of ego um, that that kind of persists? And I, I say that because I've been doing over the last several years, a lot of relearning my own African-American history and heritage. And I think that Hmm. even from Marcus Garvey on, like there has been a coalition of efforts. We all are privy to most of them, at least some of the ones they teach you in public school, right? And a lot of these leaders all wanna get to the same place. Everybody's just got a different way of getting there. And unfortunately, a lot of them feel like their way is the only way or the right way. And I think that some of that might still persist, even though, I mean, I see more collaborations and and stuff, but even amongst some of the um, social justice organizations, like a couple of summers ago, I got involved with um, some family and friends. And one of the big things that we were trying to do was around um, I think the MLK uh, anniversary, uh, we were trying to organize something, protest or whatever, and highlight social justice issues. And then the idea came to try to uh, basically bring together a lot of organizations. Instead of starting our own, why can't we be the glue or find some glue to put together the ones that are already doing this work? And one of the gentlemen, uh, he's in law school. He was in, a, I think, a law school fellowship or something at the time. His experience, um, and he was working with NAACP, and he was saying that a lot of times there is infighting, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. between these organizations as to how they go about doing the business of whatever it is they're trying to accomplish. And I think that might get in the, in, into, in the way of it a lot because we have all of the civic organizations that I feel like we need from each avenue, the NAACP, the Urban League, you got Black Lives Matter, um, ACLU, uh, SCLC, like there's enough acronyms and organizations out there for us to be able to push forward. And then you got grassroots organizations across the country. Um, I, I just feel like I think that the leaders, even our NPAC organization, mm-hmm. um, the president, like I feel like there is, for whatever reason, an inability for people in positions of power sometimes to let go of the ego and what they want to see happen um, for the greater good. And I also feel like certain organizations like the NAACP, Urban League, that are more political in nature, that's the problem. They're too political in nature. So that's my take on it. So I think you are on the right path. I think some of these organizations and people that get to be leaders of them don't know when it's time to get out the way and start playing a support role. 
right there. Right. So when Black Lives Matter came up, if these older established organizations would have gotten behind them, they would have never been able to have like basically, you know, totally discredited them because yeah. that's what happened. They, they, they totally got discredited. Yeah, terrorist organization. They, they, they <laughs> threw things out there. If these other organizations would have stepped up and said, nope, we're going to back these this younger group and we're going to be whatever they need, whether it be financial support, legal, whatever it is, then that would not have happened. And I think part of it is not just organizational, it's also generational. I don't say the same thing. Yeah, I agree because... And, and, and we want to hold on. But what's interesting is the data and, and the statistics show that Gen Z, which... Brett, wait, no, Brett, you millennial, right? I'm millennial, yeah. Okay. Gen Z is a lot more like the baby boomer generation, right? And for all intents and purposes, the baby boomer generation stood up for a lot of social stuff mm-hmm. and organized, but they were big enough that they didn't need anybody else. Okay. Gen Z now is a totally different situation and it's going to come down to our Gen X and our um, millennials going to be willing to partner with them. And if that can happen, some things are going to change. Some things are going to happen. And Where's I think Gen Z? What does Gen Z kind of fall in? Um, Gen Z, like they're, they're just starting to enter the workforce and they're becoming a larger part very quickly mm-hmm. um, of the workforce. Um, I can't remember the exact years. I, I'll find it. So where are you guys way at? Because I'm in the millennial, so that make, what, that make y'all generation X? I'm, Gen, I'm Z, Gen Z is 97 to 2012. Millennials are 81, 96, 19, let me make sure I put that in there. 1981 to 1996. And Gen X is 65, 1965 through 80. Okay. So that's where it's at. Between, I think, the generational support and you're right, ego. Man, I don't have time to go mess around with these young kids, blah, 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 blah. Right, right. Or they don't know nothing and they don't understand what's going on. They actually have more power. They have more power in their fingers than they do with any of these people going out there and speaking in front of a small crowd. They can hit the whole whole US in like one second. Oh, and, and here's the thing that they have. Well, I mean, a lot of us have. I, I, I would say from Gen X down for the most part, the ability for us to organize through social media and internet, oh, it's so much more powerful than what the, the, the generation before us could do and that's the common thread right there like yeah you get that going you know we you, you almost talking about a global effort that could happen um but so we, we got to be willing to to follow mm. yeah and i think uh i guess a minor in that is that the older generation is a lot more weight and patient and you know we'll get there versus the younger generation no we need it now like we gotta get it now like we need results now and there's a there is a very very powerful space in between the two of those that I think is hard 
to conquer. I mean, look at what we have in politics and the damn Democratic Party. Um, oh my God, where... waste. waste. <laughs> so I think that because of that, you know, it, it stymies progress as well. But um, but it's you know. it's here. Here's the here's the issue, right? So we talk about generations. We talk about these old organizations. There was almost a point in when the American dream was so far out of touch that you subscribe to this notion of the African-American dream or the black dream, which was just, oh, we, wow. bettered, our, we, oh, we bettered our situation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Look Got at it. where we came Place from. Yeah. yeah. Look at where we came from. We've accomplished so much. Let's not be greedy. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, we still haven't gotten to, okay, well, hey, if we here in America, no, no, no. We want the actual dream. Mm. Yep. Yep. And I think that's what's happening as generations go on. They're starting to realize, well, wait a minute. Why are we just happy that we have a job? Not only do I want yep. a job, I want the same pay as everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. I want the same benefits. I want the same rights. And I think as that continues to go, well, there you have it. Now, now you have the push. That that also comes into how they were raised too, right? So w- when you say that statement, it goes back to the the current generation of and people complaining about those are ones who everybody got a trophy in 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 the sports. Everybody got this. Everybody's a winner. <laughs> I'm not with that. I'm not with that. <laughs> but, but 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 fast forward those lessons to what how they that approach to what Kate just said though. I want this because it's fair. It's only fair that I have the same pay. It's only fair that I have an equal opportunity to get this yeah, job. That's, that's like true. that mentality is almost self-serving now, even though I, I will argue Brett too. I like, I have my issues with that as well and, and how it teaches <laughs> kids to do so. But how is that serving them now? And when they're willing to stand up and push for things that our generation probably would have fell by the wayside and just kind of let it be, let it be. I. I, I have to get yeah, some out there. I, I really had to go back and kind of, I mean, I had to go back and research. And now this is the first time I ever put that two and two together with that. But the way KJ mm-hmm. said that, I mean, he kind of made that correlation. When you look at how kids were brought up and what their expectations is, forget um, that we believe that not, you got to work hard, you got to do it like that. That's what they were taught all this year. And they're just, it's coming full circle now. You told me I was equal. You told me everybody gets it, so I want it. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go out and get it. I I, I see that coming true. Huh. That's a that's a that's a guess. That's that's other side to the, yeah, that's the other side to the coin. So yeah. I, I always tell Nambi, no, you're you're just because anyone else you do what you gotta do. You I literally say those same exact words to him, so he's gonna expect that when he gets there, that he puts in the work and doesn't need to do, gets the results he needs to get, that he's going to expect the same results as his friend Reno next to him doing less. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and, and the problem is, look, I'm, I am sure at some point somebody said this, right. But then when we saw how hard we had to work yeah, to get there, people, psh, man, it ain't even worth it. Just keep, keep your head down and get your biweekly check and, you know, well, that's 
that goes back to our our false sense of success though don't live outside your means yeah don't be afraid to challenge Mm-hmm. That that goes back to our false sense of success, right? So again, we go to and we we've talked about this many times, but we talk about um, the job you get, um, the neighborhood you live in, the car you like, all these different aspects of your life that is like, okay, I gotta work, I gotta work, I gotta work, or to get to achieve this. But what really is achieve, what is it really achieving? Like we all can pinpoint times of life, either how we grew up, where we grew up. But the thing was, you get you need to leave this this whatever this is, and do better for the next generation, right? That means leaving some of those communities that sheltered us and kept us alive, even though they may not have been the best scenarios. Yeah. But they did keep us alive because the rest of the other stuff going around out there was detrimental to everybody else, right? So when you think about leaving the city and going into the suburbs. Was that really the best thing for us to do? Or should we have stayed and built up the communities that we're part of? That right there, yeah. But I go, cause I go back now, cause without, again, there's so many different scenarios. Like people over here, I, I live in West Miramar in Bryan County, right? And granted, the situation is, is bad, but I'm listening to the reaction of the current folks in the neighborhood. So somehow, some way, somebody got in our gated neighborhood and there was a drive-by the other night. Drive-by? Yes. Shooting? Yes. Whoa. So what? in our gated neighborhood now in West Miramar and Broward County, like, oh, there should be there should be more villages in background screenings. And they were that that was probably a drug house. Like that's the first thing people we were coming to, not knowing whether like. It's a bad situation, don't get me wrong by any means. I don't want it around. My kids could have been, it wasn't on our street, God, thank God. But yeah, I mean, I'm listening to the comments and it's like, these people have a false sense of security. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and yeah. I say these people, I'm saying everybody. And it's in this neighborhood now, more and more minorities are moving in, but it's not mm-hmm. a minority majority neighborhood. Okay, you've been over here. Art, you've been, yeah. Yeah. you've been over this way. You driven through like, you're still a minority no matter what you think. Yeah. Um, no matter how you made it, and you're still not accepted for you're working hard to provide for the family and provide the situation and provide out, out of whatever access to the school and access to this, which is why a lot of people moved in this area. And that mm-hmm. has come true in the comments as well. Like, am I guilty of that too? Yes, I am. Hands down, I am. But I'm also in touch with reality. Like, when I listen to these things going on, it's like, nobody's safe, nobody's secure, no matter where you live at. But at the same time, when I think about what my, my other options or what else we could be doing, like, why did I make these choices? And I go, I go back to, it was for the kids' sake. It wasn't for me. It was what's best for the kids and put them in an the environment. You, you did it for the right school. You did it for the right place to be so you can move forward. It's, yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, but... Like, I haven't even talked about this. I didn't, like, this happened literally, I think it was Sunday night. It, it was just like, now the fallout, well, we got to start a neighborhood watch. And we got to, like, first of all, you had a, if you had a neighborhood watch, what the hell was that going to stop if somebody really got into, they got in a gated neighborhood. Right. To see that somebody house. You really think a neighborhood watch was going to stop that or were they going to get shot too? There you go. If they out patrolling the street. I'm like, 
I'm sorry. Y'all gave I know like I made that first I made that but it was just another scenario like where like, Say that uh, again. Y'all gave it like it's a security guard or y'all gave it like it's Both. just a security a guard, fire. yes. Both. Security guard. Residents have no problem, but security guard for everybody else. Supposedly. That's part of the problem. It was an inside job. Yo, that to get inside there is ridiculous. <laughs> But I can't, but I can't say that. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, yeah. It is, but uh. we definitely can go deeper and deeper and deeper into the, the need to, to adjust or move or basically or get out of the area versus staying in the area. And listen, I think I, I, I think at this point we, we said it earlier, Art. Mm-hmm. Now that we got social media and internet. Mm-hmm. We we got virtual neighborhoods. Yes, that's true. Metaverse, baby. Hang I was on. about to say, uh, <laughs> to, y'all want to go by community center in the metaverse, and we just all meet in the in the, in, in the metaverse and have a discussion about it. Have serve provide services and, and discussion. There we go. We lost Brett. Didn't we? Uh, I think we lost Brett. I think we lost Brett. Oh, he's back. Oh yeah, there he is. <laughs> hey man, that just means we got to go ahead and start wrapping this thing up, man. So, ladies and gentlemen, before I go to Coach K to, to close us out, I want to remind everybody subscribe, 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 like the podcast. Make sure you hit us up on YouTube. Leave a comment, you'll get a shout out. Um, let us know what you think. Uh, make sure you subscribe to us on all social media platforms at 13th Floor, please. And catch us each and every week. These beautiful faces. Shout out Fresh, too, man. Yeah, man. Um, get well. Yeah, we miss you, brother. Get well, get well, um, well. I think you need to stay away from the white stuff, like uh, the white creamy stuff, like Carol be saying all the time. It's not good. Like, let's clarify that. Pause. Let's go back. And- <laughs> right. <laughs> that does not. <laughs> and that's BJ. That's BJ. <laughs> like, let's go back and rewind that real quick. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, the dairy, the dairy okay. products. The dairy products. <laughs> Dang man, I was gonna um I was supposed to respond to soothing waters, man, but I don't think we got time for that. Soothing Ooh, waters, soothing I'm waters. Gonna... that's the one that told me I was gonna be in trouble for getting married for getting alone. Oh no, oh, please yeah. respond, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. People need to listen um, with both ears. Listen with both ears. And make sure soothing waters listen to the whole podcast. That he, that so that's why I wanted to wait to the end. You know what I'm saying? So like that at least, you know, she gotta get all of the good stuff. Before we get to this, you know, this here. Um, I'm assuming this is this is she. Um, yeah, this is Susan Waters. Anyway, don't assume that. Don't assume that. <coughs> Could be a them. Yeah, I shouldn't, right? That's, Could that's be a wrong, them, right? Them. My daughter, Neil was telling me they got pronouns in school now. That's yeah, you know them, them. we'll save that for, for another day. Soothing waters. So uh let me pull up the comments so I make sure I got context. Uh, there we go. Almost. So the comment was, Brett, you got married because you needed a loan. Your wife is not going to be happy when she sees this episode. <laughs> you got a lot of making up to do if you want to make it to your first anniversary. Sorry, but no woman wants to hear that. Lots of flowers, dude. Um, so she said, I got a lot to make up to do before I make it to my first anniversary. Um, so Susan Waters, first and foremost, there's a lot of context that you're probably missing and it's not your fault because when I'm on the podcast, sometimes I forget that I'm not just talking to the four or five, uh, us on the podcast. So a lot of understood that don't necessarily have to be explained can go missing. And then we form opinions and then we make statements. So it's not necessarily your fault. 
I understand. But first and foremost, uh, me and my wife uh, have, we go from 2007 to now, a whole lot of skin in the game. So there's been a whole lot of anniversaries. If you start from 2013 to now, we still got eight and we, you know, we working on nine. So just to, you know, just to put some perspective on that. Um, and then, so the main thing, the married for the loan. Carol said it out of jest, but it was kind of true that it was her idea, not mine. I definitely <laughs> wasn't even really for it, but we didn't get married for the loan. We got a marriage certificate because we needed a piece of paper because Unfortunately, the systems that are in place to ensure that we have longevity and we can take care of our family and make sure that we have a good livelihood going forward, that we can start uh, creating generational wealth and entrepreneurship for our family required us to have a piece of paper to prove that we are uh, together, married, uh, officially. We would have never done anything like that because one, the spiritual connection between me and my spouse is way beyond the confines, the physical confines of what they want you to have. So you can pay your money to whatever municipality and have a piece of paper that says you're together. So the, the purpose of the marriage certificate was to take care of our family. I don't think anyone ever have an issue with that if that's the purpose to be able to take care of your family so that's why I say not necessarily your fault there's a lot of understood that go in there but please know that I think I'll be just fine making it to my 12th anniversary are we at 2013 10th anniversary 10th anniversary uh, without any issues from my wife and with that coach K Go ahead and take us home, brother. Um, I don't even know. I don't even know where to go to close out this show, to be honest with you. I think there's a lot of unanswered things um, as far as us as a community and us as a people that we need to, at some point, and I don't know who's going to do it. Maybe it's going to be the 13th floor. Maybe the 13th floor is going to start organizing discussions on this and maybe we'll get with some of our fellow um, alumni folks out there in other places that we can start uh, having this conversation because somebody has to start it and somebody has to make sure that everybody's invited to the table to have the discussion, not just the people that you think belong in the discussion because that's the problem. We keep inviting the same people to the table and they talk about the same things or they talk about the same beefs that they've had or they continue to say, oh, well, that person got a big head or that person ain't really for us. Okay, let's invite more people to the table. Um, and I think that's where it starts. Uh, the community is huge. And don't just think about whether you live, you know, in the hood or you live where, you know, things are tough. Look, it's tough wherever. It's tough wherever. You just heard BJ talking about a drive-by in his gated community. That can happen anywhere. When people want to get you, they're going to come get you. It doesn't matter where you are. They'll figure out a way. With that same level of genius, 
we need to figure out a way to make things right, to get things moving, to not have to just wait to organize behind a public official that's running. By the time we have a public official, it should be done. We already know we have the numbers we need. We already have the people to put them in place. Um, but that requires an agenda. And this this makes me want to go get uh, Musa Deep Muhammad to come up on this joint um, and talk about this, you know, organizing a community. Um, man, there we go. We're getting flagged again. We mentioned, we mentioned a Muslim on here. I'm, um, I'm with it. Let's do it. Let's make that happen. Yeah, because the conversation needs to be had. And I think the people that were trying to push the conversation, I think we're finally at the point where they're tired. They feel like they've done their part and now it's open. The lane is open. Like somebody needs to step up and whatever we can do to push the conversation, we will do. But I will tell you, for those of you that are sitting there listening, it takes all of us. You can't sit back and wait. And I think that's another problem that we have is that we sit back and wait on somebody else to come forward to do it. Everybody else has to take a piece. Everybody else has to pick up a tool. And when I say a tool, I'm not talking about, you know, um, a firearm. <laughs> uh, but we got to get together. We got to strategize and we got to execute plans. And I believe it at that. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. We're done here on the 13th floor where the furniture isn't always the best, but the views are amazing. amazing.